Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is a journalist who has written for Politico and The Atlantic, and she's also the co-host of the Irish Passport podcast. Naomi O'Leary, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, yeah thank no, you for coming. Stop. You... I beat the door down trying to do this. <laughs> it's great to be on. You have a very interesting topic for us. It's one that had never occurred to me that some would think of to do for here. Every child in but Ireland. we've all read it. So what, yeah, what have we got? Okay, so we are going to be talking about Under the Hawthorne Tree and mm-hmm. potentially the whole famine trilogy. Like, let's <laughs> get right in there. By Marisa Colin McKenna. Okay, so it came out in 91, I want to say. 90? Yeah, 90. Sorry, I didn't look that up. I don't I know. I should yeah. It was early 90s. So yeah. you, when, how old were you when you read it? Remember um, it? I actually don't, but I was doing a little bit of like personal investigation earlier and mm-hmm. it turned out that my brother apparently was, did have it on the syllabus for school. Okay. Ah. And then I probably read it because he had it, I imagine. So I say I would have been about seven or eight. I was about the same. I think I read it when I was about nine. Yeah. And it was my cousin had it and gave it to me. It was read so. aloud by our teacher in class. Okay. Somewhere in the swathe of second, third, fourth class. You know, where you're just still an amoeba yeah. and not a person who can form coherent time memory. Was that like a, <laughs> as a punishment? Yeah. Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything was punishment. It was the 90s. When we were in fifth class, um, our teacher had to go on sick leave and we had a substitute teacher who could not control us at all. Ah, yes. But he used to read us chapters from the diary of Anne Frank to try calm us down. Oh my god! A gosh. class of all that's not ten-year-old boys. Wow, that's not healthy. It was really weird. Potentially radicalizing every <laughs> single one of you. Like I don't think anybody took anybody in. Wow. Yeah. But back to under the whole tree. That's Anne Frank abuse. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Anne Frank. But yeah, that's. Uh, I think everyone was exposed to it at, at around that age. These yeah. Very sensitive ages. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I hadn't read it like pretty much since then, I don't think. Mm. But it's funny because like when I thought, what will I talk about on Juvenalia? This was literally the first book that popped into my mind. Mm. Yeah. And then I went through a process of like considering all these other books and I just came back to this one because like it popped into my mind ra- randomly. But it's also like, it's sort of like, it's not just that book itself, but it's sort of the most quintessential one of like a genre that I was into, which is kind of, I think of like as the hedgerows and misery genre <laughs> of Irish children's yeah. fiction hedgerows and misery that is it we, me and exactly. Carrie always call it old women dying alone in Connemara but a hedge, <laughs> hedgerows and misery it yeah. could be a, that could be the title of a bookshelf yeah. that's fantastically succinct for a long time I thought that's that's what like all Irish literature was it is all Irish it was only, it was only when I started like following like new Irish authors on Twitter I was like oh there's like books about like tattoo artists honestly guys though I dig it like I want to yeah. know how you like got the blackberries to survive and all that <laughs> shit. Like, I, I want to know. And then, I love that. No, I dug, I dug out when I was about eight. Yeah. Was it the characters or the backdrop? Was there something romantic? Okay, the famine isn't romantic. We know yeah. this. No. But I can understand how Conlon McKenna did paint a really graphic, long-lasting image of a certain kind of Ireland. It's not full famous five having picnics on the cliffside or smugglers' coves, but there is a rural sort of warmth to the world even though everyone is starving to starving death starving to death yeah. do you know, yeah. but do you know what so I mean maybe we should just like lay out what actually what in, in case someone hasn't oh, yeah, totally yeah. like, we do have a lot of overseas <laughs> listeners so we should so, tell them what yeah. this is yeah. hello Americans <laughs> hi guys and yeah. English people take no, note English people are not allowed to listen to this episode oh actually yeah sorry you you're banned out. I'm no, sorry yeah. I take the opposite view you should bastards <laughs> educate yourselves <laughs> no you must listen um, for your yeah but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, history history lesson one hundred and one Irish history. Um, so the under the Hawthorne tree, 
uh, tells the story of three children who survive the Irish famine. And it starts off and the first scene is just hunger. You know, they're all in their little cottage and it's just the, you know, the oldest child. There's three children, Ailey, Michael and Peggy. I think Ailey's about 12, Michael's about 10, Peggy's like seven. She's Mm. a small one. Um, And they live in this like traditional cottage in the Irish countryside with their mum and dad. And hunger comes as it did in 1845. It's exactly like Charlie the Chocolate Factory. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, they describe like the horrible smell as they discover like the potatoes have rotted in the ground. I will never forget that. It's the smell. And the the sludge. They describe them as sludge. Sludge, black sludge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then um, the dad goes because he's working on the works. They're referred to as the works. And the mum, in time, she starts selling all her possessions because they've got nothing to eat. And in time, she goes to try and find the dad, right? Because they're actually starving. They have nothing to eat. But basically, it is fascinating. I had not read it since I was a kid. Mm. And I I reread it for the purposes of the show. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, it paints, like perfect little historical tableaus mm. of all these issues it's like massively political mm. and yeah. just it's wonderfully written it's absolutely clear and concise and has like nothing extraneous and it's it's just brilliant I'm like I'm a huge fan all over again it, uh, me too actually yeah. yeah I remember when I was reading it I've read it probably two or three times when I read it and it felt like a really long book I think that might have been just because it was so bleak I felt yeah. my mental image of before I reread it was like of them like just sitting in ditches or <laughs> like just wasting away and that happens it does happen but they get better each time and it, yeah. it's actually very quick I read it in like an hour and a half yeah it's a really quick read it is surprisingly because that like yeah. I, it seems like a really meaty novel when you're mm. aged like well yeah lot. the mood of it kind of prevails doesn't yeah, it yeah. like you'd be there bitching about your like chicken nuggets and whatever miserable 90s food we were all fed like screaming at our mothers to give us angel delight and she's mm. like no and you're going upstairs and reading Under the Hawthorne <laughs> 3 <laughs> <laughs> relating very heavily to it but because it effectively is a horror story you know, it's about starvation and politics. Like that is intense, heavy stuff to give to give to a little kid. Like the mood of it lifts yeah. out of a short span of work. Like I would have been a wicked voracious reader as a small kid. Mm. And it just, it, it, it imprints on you. I, I think the reason I like it is because of the resilience of the kids. Like mm-hmm. I think that's probably what I liked about it. It's about survival. And they're like really clever. Like they keep coming up with these solutions one after another, mm-hmm. like creatively to overcome these life-threatening situations that they keep getting faced with one after another. It's like strange neighbors are knocking on the door who who sound ill and they're afraid they're going to catch the fever off them. And Michael, the brother, comes up with this really cunning way of getting them to go away. And then, you know, they're attacked by rabid dogs. You know, all these things happen. And they're they're so cunning. And they're like, they're using whatever they can, like making fires with like flint and like coming up with like medical cures for like their cuts and stuff like that. I think that's what I love. Yeah, they catch a fish. So they do all these clever things to to survive. They're really resourceful. And I think I really like that. And I also really liked the strong female character who's like Ailey, the, the oldest child and she's really the leader of the group you know mm. and she like just resolves that you know she's going to make her siblings survive and she, they come up with the idea that they're going to basically leave their cottage and travel across the Irish countryside to find these aunts who they've only heard about in the tales of their parents their mother um, and these it's so funny because well it's so interesting these stories are all about food 
they're all about food and better times. Mm. Like they talk about how this aunt's had like a thriving bakery and all this stuff. And there's a description of this cake with sugared violets on it. Mm. Unimaginable luxury to these people who are children who are living in this Connemara cottage. And you get the sense of the impoverishment of Ireland over those over those decades and that it didn't have to be like that <coughs> and it, it wasn't always like that but it was you know these bad policies so yeah I guess that's why I say like it's contains like Such almost resilience. like a historical case about the famine which is, is amazingly accurate but also wonderful for kids like we probably would have read it before we actually did that famine in school as well mm. So yeah. it was like you kind of knew all about it yeah it's like a foundation block for yeah. like later actually learning the it history should be on stuff. British children's syllabuses, yeah. actually. It should, actually. It should be it, on this. To be honest, yeah, it should. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Because you see, there's like a lot of like viral tweets now where people like say, talking about how the like the Brits like stole our food and like we were taking our food and selling it off during the famine. That happens under the Hawthorne tree. All Irish people knew that already mm. from Literally, being under the Hawthorne tree. There's yeah. a scene in it where they come across a food riot where mm. the soldiers are guarding this cart which is laden with grain which is about to be exported. And the you know the soldiers are literally saying this is sold and they're like where is it going? And it's being exported to England. And that's absolutely historically accurate mm. because um, basically there was this... Uh, um, ideology in the British government which was that you can't give people stuff for nothing because it's sort of immoral so Irish people actually had to pay for their own famine relief so they raised taxes which meant that the landlords had to keep export even more of the food so all this food was being exported ironically at the time when there was that much most shortage in order to sort of buy back other food and give it to the starving it was just like completely messed up but yet like all of these all of the scenes that they come across are kind of starkly accurate and they reflect like uh, contemporary reporting of the time and things like that. It's yeah. an incredible thing to have done in terms of Colin McKenna's achievement. Absolutely. Mm. To have yeah. instilled a weird knowledge, a really intrinsic like mood knowledge, like yeah. a feeling in... It sounds like an ancestral kind of yeah. bone thing that like, everybody it's has. It's amazing. Yeah. That, yeah. To, that we all just know because yeah. we read those scenes which are so... Um, like they're vivid, textured mm. yeah. and vivid. Yeah, that it's very transporting and upsetting. It's upsetting. Oh, the part, like I find it massively upsetting rereading it. Yeah. Like I was literally in tears. Like <laughs> I kept crying, and I was like, "How did I get through this when I was eight? But I think I was eight. I was like more like of a hard little bastard because mm. I didn't see children. You know, they were just un- they were just people like me. So I didn't and see them as particularly whoa, vulnerable. Yeah, you know, whereas, you like child sympathy is. Yeah, now yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh no, they're you know they're seven. Like ah, it's terrible. But then I was just like. You know, I didn't have that same sympathy because I was also a child. Mm. Like they were just like ordinary like me. So, yeah. I suppose you'd also been reading like Famous Five and stuff and that kind yeah. of thing. So you already had like adventurous children. In a way, yeah, I guess so. So it was you like just a particularly story. real Grim. version of I feel like Famous it's, Five. It's, it's, yeah, it's such a sneaky little book to, to put on a shelf with Enid Blight and you're like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> having cheeky ginger beers and then all of a sudden, mm, no, you're not, yeah. no, you're not. Like it, And I think that's that's part of its power. I mean, mm. it is terrible. Like, I mean, it's very grim. I mean, there's death in it. There's mm. very, very serious stuff. It might be the first time I read about death and read yeah. about that kind of pain. Like well, really yeah. abject pain. Horrendous pain. Definitely the first time I read about dying yeah. as opposed yeah. to like death. Whoa, yeah, you active know? dying. Like, oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, like, like the physical process yeah. of dying. Yeah. yeah, it's true because they're like constantly like we're getting too weak to find more food. Mm. This, this is the thing, is the problem. conversation about bodily weakness. Yeah. Like it's a very... Yeah. Um, like that's very literal. You get this panic and sense of urgency like we have to get more... Yeah, it's very... Yeah, it's very real. 
but in like they often it's a sort of a truism that like a lot of children's literature is really dark and really gothic mm. and really serious this goes way above and beyond though that is true this is it not does. lemony snicket being kind of <laughs> tim burtoning around yeah, with yeah. spiky snicket, it's spiky not. kids it's true it's yeah. way it's way way darker yeah. potentially because it's historically accurate it's completely yeah it is completely like it's it's great if i i kind of I reread it and then I was listening back over to the episode that we did on my pod- podcast, The Irish Passport, which was about the famine. Mm. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. Yeah. And I was like cross-referencing literally like yeah. the scenes that are depicted and like the, you know, the the rioting for food, the fact that it was being exported. I was like, yeah, they were exporting food. Why were they doing that again? And then I like looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, this is the reason why they were doing that. Like she, she. It's, it's wonderful what she did. Like, um, Conan McKenna, she wrote it when she was 30 and she wrote it for her daughter. So, obviously, I don't know. I'm know kind that. of imagining here, but she wanted a way of passing this down to her own mm. kid, which is quite interesting because that's like a real theme in it as well. Yeah. Like, Legacy. Um, stuff that's passed down. Yeah. So, one, they've got, they've passed down this memory of better times and there being food and stuff. That's like a memory. But do you remember the scene with the cow? Yeah. I feel like this is one that everyone remembers. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say that I I did not reread it. Yeah. Because I knew it would upset me. Yeah. And because I also, I have been through that book so many times. <laughs> it's like yeah. Jane Eyre. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I never need to go there again. Sure. And my skin just lifted off my body with the cow thing. Yeah. If, we're to, if I'm thinking the same thing as you guys. Like. Yeah. So they, they bleed a cow. There you go. Right. So they yeah. nick a vein on the cow's neck and gather its blood in like a tin. This sounds so dark on the way I'm saying it. <laughs> and then they make a black pudding, basically. Yeah. They make a black pudding yeah. on a fire. And then like that that gets them through like one of their most going to die moments. And um, <laughs> when they're <laughs> most going to die, yeah. so phys- these small children are so physically weak yeah. that they bleed a cow. They, you hear yeah. that, Americans? <laughs> you hear but that, you hear the, that, Brits? <laughs> the key thing for me is like, so Michael, the brother, gets this idea because he had heard his dad saying that in previous times of famine, of there being little food, his dad snuck into the landlord's fields and bled the cows. And the reason why you bleed the cow and you don't kill it is because you don't own the cow. You have to literally steal some of its blood and leave it alive. Or, you know, you'll be a criminal and in prison. Or sent to like Australia. Yeah, so it's it's like this ancestral knowledge that they have about surviving um, starvation periods. Which, like, I was like, what? Whoa. Mm. So in a way, Colin McKenna has done that for an entire generation of Irish children. Yeah. And make more more than that, like, I, I don't know if they, like, kids like school now and they'll have a nice time and no one shouts at them. But, like, I don't know if it's appropriate reading matter for a contemporary eight-year-old. I don't Do know. know? I, to- no, I would give it to my own kid. In a I would give it to my own kid. Yeah. But, like, Definitely. I feel like schools are less miserable now than they were in the 90s, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> They've uh, moved away from the heteros and misery genre. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if kids today, kids today, do you yeah. uh, I could have have an eight-year-old you know what I mean I don't know if they are still if under the whole yeah. country is still taught I like, don't know would that yeah. be too graphic I don't know it's a good question I but feel like it would be I feel there'd be complaints if they did complaints I yeah. don't know I would hope there wouldn't be because oh, I like wouldn't I feel be, like yeah. it, turns, it turns us all extremely patriotic it's just a great mm. model like it's a really mm. really well crafted thing that's mm. like great in terms of like passing down history but it's also a great story like I said like I loved this book yeah. like I loved it when I was a kid it's great now I also read all the sequels Wildflower Girl which tells the story <gasps> of immigration yeah. oh my god <laughs> yeah. I, that's fucking also a horrible book oh my god she like emigrates yeah to the states and, okay I never oh, read this one so tell me yeah. about this one. Oh, stop you I oof. so it's, it's about the youngest child that 
survives the famine book, mm-hmm. um, Peggy, and she emigrates over to the US basically to make her own life there. So yeah, it tells like it tells that apparently um, Conan McKenna made it because she was asked to. She never planned that there would be a sequel, but mm-hmm. they're like, "This is a huge one and runaway hit." This famine book, will you do like a follow up? And she's like, "Okay, I'm gonna take on emigration." Mm. Yes, that's what I'm gonna do. So that's what she did. Yeah, and she went wildfire girl. Which that's is also great. I haven't even heard the t- that title since then, and yeah. I, I, yikes! Yeah, like the 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 school that I the primary school I went to was um. 90s and grim and <laughs> we did not have many was there any other kind of 90s in <laughs> oh, we did not have many books um but we did have one of those like stacks of copies you know yeah. those boxes where it's just like here's a bunch of under the hawthorne trees here's a bunch yeah. of wildflower girls like it was one of those heavily distributed texts and right. i haven't thought about it that's crazy crazy like yeah. the visceral reactions to it. i can i can see the cover now like pink cover yeah with her in the middle yeah that's great but uh yeah no this is really great because like i've yeah it's knowing your history is so important i think yeah. and do and you feel like reading books like that and being impacted by that led you to the kind of career that you have today i mean i think i may be someone who would be really interested in this anyway it's possible mm. but i am really glad for the historical education that i have yeah like this is kind of a theme lately with brexit and it's so mm. shocking the dearth of historical just uh, basic knowledge people have in britain and how much this is causing a gigantic problem with the brexit negotiations well, when you have an empire nobody tells you the story of the failures you do, yeah exactly you, you <coughs> it's like america you like, do not need to know like oh all the sad stuff happened to our neighbors like who gives a fuck we're powerful you can do what you want it's kind of a luxury of a powerful nation and it's also but, a luxury of a co- of, of a colonial nation yeah because yeah. if you start telling british children that the history of the nation is that they went across the world yeah. and committed genocide in order then, to claim land. You're going to kind of fuck up the kids whose fault it isn't. There's a way of a downer. To, kind of a downer. And also, I genuinely don't think that a lot of them know no, that, no, that no, it is they a bad don't. thing. We, we actually investigated this on our, on our podcast. Mm. So we did this episode which is called The Knowledge Gap. Ah. And so we were like, why, how, how is it possible that so many... English people that we know personally, for example, don't know whether Northern Ireland is part of the UK or not. Yeah. Or they get confused about whether it's the South or the North that's in the UK. Like, that's the border of their own country. And mm. also, like, <laughs> it's been the topic of a war within living memory. Like, how but, do you not know? recent enough memory, <laughs> to be fair. There were bombs in like, London. Like, you know, you should yeah. know this. Well, I, I was into, I was going through uh, England for work with uh, an English woman and an American, which is a wonderful triptych of, of people to be with, to be honest, going through England. There was a lot of yeah. diversity of opinion happening. Yeah. Um, really, actually, sound great women I travelled with. And we were in the tube and the American goes, why are there no trash cans? And I just looked at the English girl <laughs> and she looked at me and like, did she know? Which one of us is going to tell her she knew? <laughs> but it was, Sorry, was guys, like, oh, that was, that's on us. Yeah. <laughs> It's literally what I said. Really? Because then you suddenly are getting on a train. Oh, I'm going to Birmingham. Got about two hours. Okay, where should I start? What, yeah. How do I justify this? How do I explain this? Yeah. How do I make this not quite sound like it's their fault or our fault or wh- whose fault? How do yeah. I explain that the Irish spent a long time blowing up England? <laughs> but also here's why. Like, yeah. wh- like, how do you justify a war that's not part of your adult existence? Do you know? You don't justify it, but how do you even explain that? Like, you have to do it with your tongue and your cheek because otherwise, 
it's fucking devastating. Like, it's so sad that there are no bins in London <laughs> in case the Irish fucking put a bomb in them. <laughs> like, that that has to be funny because it's so like that. It is funny. bleak, you know? It's, bleak. it's, it's bleak. so fucking bleak. Yeah. Like, how else are we meant to handle that, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm sure we could handle it a lot more, it with a lot more... Um, uh, sincerity and like I I know I'm being sincere but genuinely there are plenty of folks who have no idea oh no they have no idea no honestly and it's not their fault a lot of people it's not their fault so like we investigated the history curriculums that are studied here in Ireland and then we compared it to the history curriculum in England and Wales yeah what's that like basically you can completely avoid studying Ireland at all which is really uh, screwed because it's actually a huge part of British history Mm. so oh we're just going to ignore the fact that the act of union and like Ireland breaking away you know yeah. in the 1920s we're just going to ignore that like you lost a third like, of your land mass <laughs> the war like, yeah, <laughs> where people died we're, we're going to ignore all that you can totally avoid studying any of it and if you do study it you study it in a very tokenistic way mm. so it's um, it's it's a complete silent point in the history curriculum and then aside from that there's actually a really small uh, percentage of people who study history in the first place which is a huge contrast to Ireland where until actually this year Every, everybody studied it until who did junior search, right? It was junior search core curriculum, I think yeah. about 90%. And we all do 1916. And we do, like we spend half of the curriculum studying Irish history. And yeah. there is, it's not that long. I mean, it's a small country. Like, <laughs> so we are a very small island off the coast of Western Europe, to yeah. be realistic. You can give a pretty thorough account of Irish history if you're studying it for three years as, you know, yeah. from yeah. the ages of 12. I mean, it's just a very long list of invasions. <laughs> like, Irish history junior start kind of, it covers every single time an Irish person picked up a pitchfork and went, no, actually, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, if, if anybody does after, like, if you're in the history book, well done. Yeah. That's it. It's no matter like how, what happened next, you still get in there. Yeah. Great history of descent, to be fair, to us, yeah. like, you yeah, know. to be fair. Oh my Do god! That, but that's so, yeah. so bleak that there's no teaching of it because our yeah. entire national identity, in many regards, is formed on post on on, on our, ourselves as, as a colony and even our religious anti-colonialism. Identity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, no, it does cause huge problems because it is so central to what Ireland is mm. and there is no understanding Ireland without understanding this stuff absolutely but it's not really people's fault I mean you're just brought up with the schooling that you happen yes. to have right mm. yes. so like I guess I guess I don't fault people who don't know like that's oh, totally not. fine however who I do fault are those people <coughs> who are, are actually paid salaries mm. to know shit like this and have every resource and privilege at their disposal to address their ignorance and decline to do so because it doesn't fit with their own comfy assumptions about stuff mm-hmm. in which I include most of the Conservative Party oh. and certainly most of the leading Brexiteers. Uh, yeah, full on Tory realness. I mean, I was in Belfast working last week and they literally, do you know, as of the time, now we're, you're probably not lis- lis- listeners, you're yeah. probably not listening to us at the time we're recording, um, but I was fully chilling in a cab having the old chats with the taxi driver um, and there is literally no government right now. Yeah. And I was like, so what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. And I was like, that's horrifying. Like that they have just been left. They're just left there. Yeah. And and I met another lovely, I was working there and I met another another lovely woman and we had a great conversation about it. And um, because I was teaching a a gang of uh, 60, 14 year old boys (laughs) in in Belfast, which was the situation. Um, and we were talking about Brexit and she was an absolutely lovely, lovely girl around our age. Like, And uh, she said very, with no doubts about it, she's like, I don't think we should be in a United Ireland at all. My identity is nothing to do, nothing to do with being Irish, it's to do with being Northern Irish. That's who I am. And I was like, fair. 
that's that is fine. who that's mm-hmm. who yeah, you are of course you know yeah. like there is so much about the north that we are being kept separate from there are so many people that we might and people whose experiences we'll never know down here and i'll tell you what the brits certainly don't give a fuck about them you know what i mean yeah like they're it's they the, that's the situation the that we've all. that's the saddest it's thing it's and grim because like there's like this massive unrequited love thing with the, <sighs> like the DUP mm. like you can't you can't just go it's into a nation and decide so that it belongs to you rare generations of people to believe that and then go alright fuck you and be like you know what you're kind of grim and complicated we don't care about you yeah. Yeah. sorry we got you blown up all those times <laughs> like what yeah. what sorry 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 for all that like uh, you know going off to the wars stuff like yeah, yeah. Mm. sorry about that yeah. yeah like I don't know what year was it it's so recent yeah it's so recent it's people's into, like it's it's an identity of a nation, you know, and like I I just can't get my head around it. And I do think if you taught them their history, they they would they would feel differently. Oh, the that fact they, that like Oliver Cromwell can get into like oh, top stop. five of Greatest Britain of all time lists, like when that happened, it was like okay, someone's falling down on the job here. Yeah. yeah, like have they like. Remember every Irish person going, sorry, what? Sorry, what? Yeah. Th- he's is that the same Oliver Cromwell? What? Yeah, it is mm. the same guy. Yeah. He's remembered totally different over there. Mm. He's like, this guy who made a really important like Lord contribution to of parliamentary yeah. history, you mm. know? And it's like, no, he's a genocidal maniac. <laughs> 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 That's yeah. fair. That is fair. Like, it's um, it's heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. And it's, 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 it's embarrassing often to be over there because they just think that we're thick and... That's that's hard. Like the way I like my degree is mostly in like all all of it was grounded in post colonial theory. Like no matter what we did, it was colonial gaze, and because um, that's how you study Irish culture. You have to. You can't put down that lens, um, or you're you're dropping the ball, you know. And um, my take on it is that they kind of the Brits kind of looked up above their island, and went India. Ah yes, they're far away, and they don't look like I'll take them. Cool. Oh, oh, wait, down there at the bottom of the world. Cool. Australia. All right. Yeah, we'll take them as well. Yeah. They look different to us. Oh, 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 Irish people. Okay, they're right beside us. They kind of look like us. Okay, they're stupid. We'll take them. And that decision about us being like stupid is actually what that like it's a cultural colonialism. It's already it's it's who we are, how we think this portrait of the stupid Irish people or the drunk Irish people. Have you have you like come across that stereotype in your life oh yeah a bunch what, what, tell, tell us about it uh, especially happened? as an immigrant when yeah. I was living in the States I yeah. and I'm, I was always pumped to meet somebody who sounded like they were from my corner of the world like if you meet yeah. an English person when you're living in San Francisco it's a neighbour like yeah. genuinely I'm not being facetious at all yeah. like I it was all because you're, you're, you're surrounded by Americans and when you meet somebody from our, from our end of the world it's exciting because mm-hmm. you're we have more in common than I do with any American yeah I remember standing in the line for the bathroom one one evening in a dive bar called the Sycamore in San Francisco on Mission Street. And there was a British guy standing behind me and I like, yeah. clocked his accent. I was like, oh man, we just moved to the city, you know, we didn't chat and he yeah. had. And I was, he, was, he was saying that he was, you know, pissed off that all the fruit and vegetables were so expensive, which is a very real thing. And I was like, you know, yeah. there's this market down there on uh, 27th and yeah, they're really, really cheap and really, really good. And he just kind of, you could see the smile flickering and he went, are the potatoes cheap? Oh my god! And I was like, oh "This conversation god. is fucking over." Mm. Uh, I bumped into a gang of English guys at the karaoke bar or the karaoke night in the bar near us, um, and uh, the first thing they did was, "Oh my, oh my god, she's she, hey, how many potatoes does it take to kill an Irishman?" None. Mm. 
And then they started yeah. calling me West Brit. And I was like, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> that's really funny that you just called me that. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like, it's funny to them. It's like, obviously, you didn't read Under the Hawthorne Tree. <laughs> Can I recommend a novel? <laughs> um, so there's a, it's a, it's an understanding of us. It's a, it's a portrait of us that we are stupid potato people. Yeah. We're, we're funny to them. And that's what hurts. That yeah. it's like, we're a joke. I kind of get the impression I feel like they've kind of let us off like on a leash that will be back. Oh, yeah, we'll that, be that back we, assist That we've, is that a we've never fully one. left. Yeah, that we're, yeah still... well, we're, we're not quite our own independent country. Yeah. Well, that's we speak very their fucking pervasive. language, don't we? Mm, you know? <laughs> like I got that actually in Scotland where mm. I was there, I was reporting on the Scottish independence referendum and I went into like um, this, uh, it was actually event in like the like Protestant cathedral where they were it was fascinating because um, it was this big mass or service on the Sunday before the vote I think it was um, and it was an incredible you like I'd never visually seen the monarchy the army the state wow, and religion yeah. all come together visually before so the cathedral covered in these like tattered uh, Union Jacks and all these poppies and like uh, plaques to all of these imperial adventurers all over the world uh, and the the priest stood up there they started the service with God save the queen oh. and then they had all these um, vets uh, from the army come up gather money gather money from everyone and then like the, the the donation was like given and then a prayer was said and then like the reverend uh, talked about pointedly about the value of like unity and standing together so this was like a message about the referendum that was coming and I was like my mind was blown <laughs> yeah. to see this. I was like, oh yeah, because the queen is like literally like the head of your church and like also sort of, you know, in charge of the army in some way. Mm. And I was like, this is fascinating. Like we don't have this where I come from. And um, so afterwards I was like mingling with the people, right? And this one guy who's like a unionist Scott guy. I was talking to him and I was like, yeah, how do you feel? So, you know, about tomorrow, whatever. It's going to happen. And he's like, I think who's, th- this is all going to get sorted out by Prince Harry. And I was like, tell me more. <laughs> and he says, Prince Harry is organising sports games for um, veterans who've been injured in wars. It has a special name that I can't remember. So like, and, and this was so inspiring that it would inspire Scotland, Northern Ireland, and perhaps the Republic too, to all unify because we're better together. And it was like, uh, he invited Ireland to like join the UK at some point in future and said that like we would be most welcome. Oh, great. <laughs> and it was like, a, you know, a really unwelcome hug. I was like, you know what it was like for us, right? You know, our population. Can I went recommend from- you a book? <laughs> <laughs> like our population went from eight million to two. Like, you know, that was not a happy time for us. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, that that is so interesting with the wars thing. Just remembered something. So um, before my granddad died, he had written, handwritten down directions to the um, gr- the uh, mass grave that uh, I feel like it mustn't have been his dad or is it his dad's dad? World War One, so that might have been his dad. Mm. Shit the bed. Okay. So my great granddad died out in that whole situation on that side. And uh, that's, that's a real Irish thing of saying the emergency, the troubles. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the war yeah. that whole situation and um, he hand wrote the directions um, to get to the the wall where the name uh, the names of all the, the men buried there mm. were carved and he never got to see it and my uncle Jimmy um, 
found the directions written in one of the my, my granddad's notebooks uh, after he died. And he took them and he followed them to go and find him. The, the James Kiernan after whom he was named. And uh, he stood in front of that wall a couple of years ago. You know, like... And where is it? Uh, it's in Belgium somewhere. Okay. Um, I can't think of the exact location, but yeah. it's in Belgium. Like, yeah. and, and the directions were gas. Like, they're yeah. like this many ways left, and this like it's it's wow. it's really it's detailed. Like a treasure map, but but for grief, for grief, um, yeah. and for cool how we went and fought in a war for somebody else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's it's so heavy and complicated, mm-hmm. and the idea of like I, it would break my heart. To see, I think, and there's a lot of other people that the idea that Ireland would concede, but I don't know. Brexit's so weird that I feel like it's changing everybody's mm-hmm. minds and opinions. It was on. so weird when very few people were just like, when it seemed like it wasn't going well, they were like, "Oh, I guess Ireland will have to come too." So, yeah, like, <laughs> sorry, like, do we get you a come say? With us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, little sister. You oh, know. Yeah, like we're only the most pure pro-European nation yeah. in the entire 28 member bloc. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but sure, you guys have made your decision. We like so belonging we'll to things you. on our own terms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but know? it just means something so much, like so different to us, right? So like mm. for Britain, they have this whole empire that they think back to historically, the sense of identity where like they're much more important than loads of other countries. So like having to negotiate with France and Germany and stuff and sit down around the table as equals, that's like diminishing to them. Whereas to us, it's like, we're, like we're only delighted to be pals with them yeah. you know yeah. and sit down in the room like one to one like and we're all equal and we're like a little nation but we get the same say as these other ones and nobody's but, coming in and taking our food no we're one's being... coming and raping and pillaging and burning Literally. the crops so yeah, yeah. it's like invite invitation to sit at the table not okay we're taking your table <laughs> <laughs> and your I'll land the chairs too uh, and here's some black mush to eat <laughs> good luck like that is that's a really really good point that's yeah. how we're, we're delighted to be involved yeah, you know and, and I I wish the Brits would listen, do you know, to yeah. us because I feel like the Brexit thing has been such a long, drawn out fire. Do you remember what were you doing the morning that it broke? I was chasing Donald Trump around. Oh shit, we on the trail now. Wait, he was came, that whole period. He, yeah, he landed in Scotland the day when the result came out. Oh my god! So I was sent up there. I was working for AFP at the time, and um, yeah. So the Did you see him talk? Sunder- Jesus, I was watching the um, the news coverage like the night before mm. and then Sunderland declared and I was like, I'm getting no sleep now because then it was like, everyone thought it was going to be Remain and when Sunderland declared, it was like, like change in tone, key change. Mm. And suddenly like the 24 hour coverage was like all these people looking really excited and worried and um, suddenly everything was different and uh, my heart just started going 90. Oh. So I got no sleep. I think I might have had 20 minutes or something like that. And then I had to get up and um, Donald Trump came and he stepped off his helicopter and he was only delighted about Brexit. It was going to be great success, great success. I was freaky because it was his, um, one of his golf courses in Scotland and he got all of the staff to put on Trump, red Trump hats and stand out to greet him uh, for the visuals, you know, when the uh, helicopter was coming down. And those staff members were literally standing on their feet for like two hours while he was late waiting for him to come. With the hats. With the hats. Like not, wearing much clothes and I was like how are they still standing like my legs are killing mm. me you know um, yeah 
bad but like I was actually delighted to be in the press pack because you mm. know the British press are like quite irreverent and um, you know the, the grimy at times but they have in a that, lot of press as well they have loads they like, have they tons yeah so robust yeah we were in this pack together right and he came and uh, I just remember this photographer yelling out like hey Trump give us a wave you know and he was like not a Mexican wave just an ordinary wave is fine and I was like fucking yeah like I felt like I was I was standing with the right on the right side of that fence do you know Definitely, what I mean like yeah. heckling yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah it was a mental day yeah that is crazy and what and because all so much weird bad shit was happening in the world at the same time and like I feel like waking up the morning of Brexit or watching it come through that morning was mm. like a sort of a prelude to what will come what were you mm-hmm. doing Alan do you remember I remember like in the morning I go down and get the dogs and look at my phone while they're out going to the toilet mm. and it it was like no I'm definitely people are like joking and I need to scroll back far to get an actual news report mm-hmm. to figure out what's going on mm-hmm. it just and the same the same thing with the Trump thing it's the exact same thing it was like no no that's <laughs> oh right I remember like seeing the um, thought it couldn't be true yeah the graphs of um the starting this crashing were already oh on Twitter God. by then and like Farage saying well there mightn't actually be 350 million for the NHS already like by like mm-hmm. half seven that morning <laughs> yeah. they were like no this is bullshit they were like back you yeah. idiots <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember the grief of like my Facebook timeline mm. like yeah. all of my British friends were just like heartbroken yeah yeah, yeah. I've been in the pub with, uh, when I've been over there and there's there's still like it's like a grief for a nation they thought they were. St- yeah. I really, really feel for them. Me too. Like yeah. there was a serious number pulled on an mm-hmm. entire generation of mm. people. And I, yeah. I I, hope the best for them and I wish they could take it back because there's enough fucking great folks over there that you'd really hope that say, they might be able to take it back. It's so unfair. I mean, obviously it was the old people that swung it, right? Oh, yeah. So the older generations, um, it, the young people are pro-EU. Most of my friends that are my close friends that I have in England I know from Erasmus so they were all people ah, who were on Erasmus yeah, so with saw me. the world yeah, yeah you saw you know Europe because of the EU programme speak other languages and stuff like that you know and they're awesome people and it's yeah it's where did really you go on Erasmus? Bologna in cool. Italy cool it was amazing yeah that's deadly lie. yeah that's real cool but it's not all like that there's some people who are like um, you know you know like um, how people go down a strange path and it's difficult to follow them anymore like there's also people our age over there who've gone down a seriously odd path and mm. um, they've gone into yeah mega conservative mode yeah well just like consp- con- believing of conspiracy theories and it's this liberal media elite thing <laughs> and yeah that, that kills me that liberal media elite thing or the uh, mainstream media the second I hear someone say mainstream media I'm like <laughs> liberal media elite the impression yeah. I get like from following a lot of like lefty English people on Twitter is that they've kind of given up there's no point in even trying to fight this now we're just this is what it is and anybody trying to fight it is like making it worse and just there's just this despair and emptiness with it it's just yeah yeah. you really feel for them it's bad because it's this disaster that's coming right because there's like everybody knows that the square can't be circled regarding the north and the border and stuff like that and what the conservative party wants and the DUP wants and when he says a hard border I'm just like Oh, yeah, well, there's no. a disaster like coming down the train track, but there's a sort of paralysis, right? Where yeah. people are like, oh, it can't be that bad. Nothing that bad's going to happen. And it's In like, Northern guys, Ireland. history does not <laughs> yeah. bear that out. The last 20 years doesn't bear that out. Yeah. yeah. Like that is, it's, it's criminal to do yeah, that to the people of the North. It's, it's so, and I can only imagine people there now who live through it, what they must be experiencing in terms of t- like social trauma watching it. Absolutely. News. Yeah. Like we're watching it like bleeding 
bystanders mm. whereas it's reality it actually, yeah it's, it makes me furious like it's, it makes me really really furious it's outstanding and the thing the the, the thing about the young folks and I, the, the point that you made there was really interesting that a lot of young people who would have voted uh, for Remain and the older people voted for Leave mm-hmm. like obviously with what has come to light with Cambridge Analytica and like news and mm-hmm. the way that, that it was pitched to the tabloids and the way that that information and that propaganda was put onto people we can all see that now with the glory of hindsight I mean I think mm-hmm. it was pretty clear at the time in some ways like you know news that is fake has always looked kind of fake but and that older people are more susceptible because their their literacy regarding this is slightly different. But also people who belong to an older generation belong more to a more colonial kind of Some of them do. Some, Some of, of them, them do. do. Especially the conservative people. And they come from where you can kind of trust what was on television. Like they get all like mm. watch BBC news and like you can trust BBC. And then they're all suddenly on Facebook and they're like, well, you can trust the news. So any news I see here, therefore I can trust as well. And it just wasn't true at all. Yeah. Facebook is kind of like the people are saying, saying like TV is like the lead in the pipes but it was Facebook is actually if we look back the time, 20 years from now the Facebook times, yeah. 2010 to 2020 was just the cancer you know yeah. yeah and we will look back especially the the thing that broke this week about the pivot to video story and all that we, we all we all knew that video views were fake on Facebook right no we didn't like what Facebook will have done to the people of the world will not be something that can be fixed. Like it is, it's astounding the damage that's been done. And I and I feel for people who are fooled. And every so often you see like going viral, somebody from Britain who has realized what they've done or who has realized that the vote was probably not a good call. And I, I do feel for them because so much of this is education. And if that is not available to you, like what's gonna happen? There were like lots of failures on many levels. Yeah. Like there's very, very low awareness of what the EU is mm-hmm. even now in the UK. Um, that's the fault like of many, many different people. Yeah. And the press has a huge role in it. Yeah. And also like the coverage coming up to the re- the referendum itself was uh, was had lots and lots and lots of faults. The North was never discussed. Yeah. It was really frustrating. And like I was over there, I was going, I was really losing my mind over this. Like I was trying to like, uh, anyway, Trying to t- kind of talk to people about it, nobody got it. You know, they're all sort of like, "Oh, that's complicated stuff up there. Which side is which again? Who are the Catholics?" You know, that kind of thing. And um, yes, uh, massively, massively frustrating. But uh, yeah, I think it's the subject that's so complicated. Like books will be written about it in the future. Well, this is the yeah. thing. Like, and ha- especially with under the horsehorn tree. Like, I really am feeling now. I'm like, man, we should try and lobby to get some some serious Irish history on the British curriculum. Mm. But like, Hawthorn tree, I think that actually does remain a really important text then. So even if it yeah. is scary for kids now, well, like that's the thing, like be. stories are really powerful. Like, mm. so it's just a really good way of imparting information. Like this is ancient, right? The mm. telling of myths and legends, the telling of children's stories and fairy tales. Like this is how we impart knowledge to, to young people. Um, it's not just a case of dry studying of facts, although mm. that's obviously necessary. Like maybe we all remember it so well because it wasn't dry. Yeah, exactly. It's a great tale. It's a great yeah. tale. And it's so drama. impressive in terms of like, yeah, the characters. but And it has loads of the ingredients of like attractive other books, right? Like the adventure thing, mm. the self-sufficiency, survival, this like strong characters. I remember the strong sister and all that. Mm. But yeah, there was there was so much in it. 
can I mention actually just like while while I'm here, I was also battling about whether or not to choose this other book, which has loads of similar themes. Yes. Nice. There's also this Irish woman writer and her name is Mary Regan. Uh-huh. And she wrote this book called The Secret of of Yellow Island. So Inish okay. Bui. I'm gonna look this up. Inish Bui. Oh my god, those are two <laughs> beautiful words together, aren't yeah. they? So I'm gonna go look I'm gonna look it up. Tell us about it. So basically it's about this girl who goes to the west of Ireland and her grandmother lived on an island, but because the the island has emptied out in terms of population because life was too hard there and they've moved on to the mainland. But this kid sometimes goes back to the island, they spend a few days there and her granny like shows her where to pick the mussels oh. and where to find the food, where to find the old potatoes and they like make dinner and they find one of the old abandoned cottages that still has most of its roof and they sleep there and they do this during the summer. And then the, 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 the kid in it, the main character, she ends up... Um, spotting that there's this guy around who's up to no good on the island and she ends up solving this sort of historical mystery and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it's a brilliant... I loved that book. And um, and she's a political journalist now? No, that isn't her. That's a totally different Mary Regan, right? Because I, I... Like, I'm, in preparation for coming here, I was like... Fake who news! That's <laughs> Mary Regan, right? So I yeah. Google the name Mary Regan. It comes up as this political journalist, but she is way too young to have written this book, which was, yeah. bu- which was published back in the 70s or something. Um... And uh, yeah, so it's not her. Like I, I checked with her. It's not her. And then I wrote to Poolbeg Press, which published this book. Yeah. And they're like, we have no record of Mary Regan. Like we, we it was, it's too old. Like, so she's a forgotten writer. Oh my God. Okay. This is, mi- this is mission stuff now. Yeah. We need to get on to Tramp Press about this. Okay. We need yeah. to get on to Tramp Press. <laughs> Lisa, Sarah, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> I will have yeah. already emailed you about this by the time you hear this. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so important. That happened. Yeah. That that text has to be rescued. That must be out of print by now. Yeah, it is. No, it is. Yeah, I think it is. It's great. I'm, like, I mean, I don't know if we have a copy in the garage somewhere, but it, it's an amazing book. I loved it. Holy shit! Yeah, like it. books about like um, the small island life in Ireland that aren't peg are so rare. True. You know, True. there's actually Lizzie Nugent's new book, Skin Deep, is about island life, but it's uh, harrowing and yeah. it's a thriller, so that <laughs> okay. doesn't count. I think, but yeah, it's a whole other way of life. Like, as as yeah. rural as. Okay, so it says... Under Horse Tree is. It says yeah. it was published that's like a whole in 1993. Level. So that's... It says it, it was published in 1993 by Poolbeck. I think it was, but Maybe it, was, it was reissued earlier. It could be reissued. Although I'm trying... I'm struggling to remember now. Yeah, because I could be... Yeah, yeah. I also looked up Flight of the Doves for this because I was trying oh to remember. God, Did you read that? Doves. Yeah, so traumatised. Also the film, right? You're traumatised by all the books I love. I must <laughs> have a dark soul. I am I think I just I like realistic that. things. Oh, okay. I think the okay. reality of it was just real upset. Like, I, I definitely like scary things, yeah. but there was something gritty and textured and maybe because it was Irish. Maybe. It just mm. felt too... It felt too close. Yeah. Doves. But like again, like it's ah. kids. They travel across Ireland. It's like a flight for survival. They're going to like find distant relatives. Like there are common themes and all these common themes. <laughs> <laughs> Starving orphans. Yeah, but also like the coziness of like you know, both in that in under the hawthorn tree and in other things. There's moments where they get safe and they like mm-hmm. find the beloved like cozy family members and they like have food. Food is all really important to, in all these things, mm. which is yeah. Yeah, like we've we've talked in the past about food in children's books a lot. My my thesis was on food in uh, Roald Dahl. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. And um, I think that what might be so frightening to me about stories like Fright, Flight of the Doves and mm. the Hawthorn Tree, I think it's hunger. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that it's possible as a child to read about kids who get spells put on them because metaphors are fucking delightful, mm. right? It's real, real easy to be like awesome. 
this like ma- magic is is a really nice um soft entry point to the reality of the world mm-hmm. whereas you know what hunger is and i yeah. think that lands me way too close like just on a human level it's like an identifiable terror mm. yeah. yeah and i definitely was never that bleed hungry as a kid yeah. like you know lots of chicken nuggets in my fucking childhood but like at the same time that's that kind of fear because it's your country it's a sensation that you know mm. it's almost kind of being taught it is being taught as history like it's you know? history. It's, it's also like in the oldest like sense of fairy tales, it's like, this is danger. Mm. You know, mm. this is what danger is like and, and what you should do. But I find this stuff instructive. Like, it's like, because it's all oh, really yeah. constructive. It's, it's like, so like find the muscles stuck to the rocks and yeah. boil them in the water. And this is how you make a fire. Bleed the neck and of the cow. <laughs> because yeah. that's what black pudding is. Honestly, yeah. like, I'm Don't eat a dead rabbit if you haven't killed it yourself. Exactly. Oh. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and oh. like, Oh my god, that's awful. I've just remembered what that was as well. Jesus. Yeah, don't be tempted by the dead rabbit. Yeah, yeah steer clear. Yeah. So this is so before we hit record, it, this is an instructional guide for Ireland 20 years in the future, so basically. What it has a lot in common with is the road. Whoa. Oh, right. Because yeah. in the road, they like, in under Holter Tree and the road, they occasionally find places that are still abundant. And they stay there for a little while, but they're like, we can't stay here forever. It's not safe for us to stay here. We need to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And But there's also, here's where you can get food. Right, yeah. The bushes have food. The rivers have food. Yeah. A rabbit the landlord's food. house has food. The landlord's house has food. Except it's hidden by giant, like, tall walls. Yeah. Um, but little Peggy, who's tiny and starved, can exactly. fit through there. Yeah, oh, the Peggy. smallest yeah. one is able to fit through a crack in the wall and she yeah. raids, like, the the sumptuous orchards of the landlord's house. They get, like, melons house. and stuff and yeah, grapefruit. And, like, and she's, like, glimpses a field beyond which has, like, all these carrots growing and all this stuff. And she's like, there's so much food in there. And they were like, no, we can't stay. It's dangerous. Yeah. Because, yeah, it was. But you feel like, well, you know that they're in danger all the time, but the mm-hmm. peril is kind of unnamed. This is the other thing. Like, the big bad in children's books is, like, fucking, like, smugglers or, yeah. you know, like, Voldemort or whoever. Like, there tends to be a naming of what it is that the danger is coming from. Whereas these kiddos are always moving because of a relatively ambiguous danger. It's just like survival. It's just mm. like, don't stay here. Some fucking terrible is going to happen to you. Or you'll starve. Yeah, they definitely, like, yeah, they come across all these situations that they don't understand yeah. as kids. Like they see mm. the warehouse that, and that's, you know, they smell the yeah. sickness. They have to stay clear. But they even that, that's see the huge. food riot. And, you know, we all are like as an adult reading it now, I understand. But it's also like I understand with a lot more of the context of the history now. But even mm. at the time, it was it was it's written in a great way for kids. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so clear. And that's why it's so memorable. That yeah. smell of the sickness thing. Yeah. Because when you're God, if you're if you're very fortunate around the time of six, seven, eight, you might not have you might not know what that is. Now as an adult, you probably do know what it's like to be in a place where people are unwell mm-hmm. and to have an understanding of that like aura of pain and aura of death and aura of illness. But like that's eldritch. Like that is actually really scary. You know? Like that is not like Leading lowered Baltimore has no nose and he's coming mm. to get you in your sleep. Like that's actually very chill. No, it is. You know, it, it's really bad. Like I took down a quote because I was like, "Oh, dude, that's really like." And because you know it's so, real, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's so bad. So this is the terrible part. Okay, 
<laughs> after they come across the pack of roving starving dogs then we attack by them um, the little one gets sick right and Michael walks to the workhouse to try and see if they can get help and he sees that it, the work is actually full with people they can't let anyone else mm. in because it's so full they have to wait for some to die before they have room yep. and like all about are like all of these like starving to death um, people who are also like covered in sickness and it says <laughs> Quote, his heart was broken in two and his childhood gone forever. Yeah. It's yeah. Just yeah. serious. Like, I was like, whoa. Like, honestly. That seriously. is metal. Oh, yeah, he says, there was no God. And if he was, if there was, he was a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Eight years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on. Like, that's, yeah. that's existentially frightening it is ex- yeah it's, it's pretty serious yeah and but I mean I took totally took it on board when I was a kid like I had no problem with any of this I don't say that I yeah. definitely didn't have I didn't love it you know yeah. but I read it and read yeah. it and sat through it being read to me yeah. I, I accepted it as one of the books you know one of the books like yeah. there were books that I wouldn't read because I thought yeah. they were because I didn't like them but I, I this was a serious piece to be reckoned with like you kind of a, it, it, it almost felt like a like a like seminal like we all all of us, no matter what different schools we all went to, we all read it, we all know, and we were all introduced to it with no uncertain terms that this is real. This is a book about our history and this is where, who we, like, who we are and this is about our past, mm. you know? I definitely don't think they talked about identity and shit in Irish primary schools in the 90s, but mm. there was definitely, like, this is what happened during the famine. I don't seem of. to remember being introduced to it like that. Like, I, I just... I read it, I don't think, with any prior context. I oh, so it was like, read to yeah, us. Same. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I think I just came, acro- came across it and like got it, possibly I got it from my brother, I don't know, uh-huh. and read it and really liked it and then wanted to get all the sequels and all that kind of so stuff. So maybe it's context is the difference because yeah, when it's being maybe. dictated to you, it's, yeah. very, it's a very different I experience. I really liked it. Yeah. And that, oh. the other thing that struck me actually now on this rereading was um, they don't realise looking at each other how... Um, much their appearance has deteriorated so after they've been on the road for ages the kids just see each other as the same and they Mm. see other beggars and they see that the other people who were starving look really bad but they don't recognise it in each other so when they do turn up in a town um, people are like get away beggars and they're like then they only realise that they're covered in like dirt and they look really like starving and all this kind of stuff that was really fascinating Mm. and also detail yeah it's great detail and like it, it really like it like I say like it's like nakedly political like Mm, it mm. shows like in the countryside people were literally starving to death and in the towns people still had food this was like this massive problem of inequality Mm. like structural problem that yeah and it's it it really just brings it to life so vividly like the rejection that they get because like they're coming into town and they're like away with the laxie you know yeah don't be bringing sickness upon here this and the sickness is the thing and Mm -hmm. this is ambiguous sickness you know like there, there's a frightening ambiguity to it, you know, and the work, the ideas of that the workhouses were places where people were sick. Yeah, like, that's yeah. true. But yeah. like it's true. the yeah. workhouse were the worst place in the world, but they were all full as well. Yeah, they were usually queue not to get into the, I, into hell. I did yeah. a, I did a, 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 I made the sterling choice of doing a midnight Jack the Ripper tour through London last time I was there. Don't know why I did that to myself, but that it's that was in Victor- Victorian London, walking through the streets of kind of Whitechapel, being like, and that was a giant workhouse where everybody went to die, and the guy took out a thing that he called Ripper Vision, which was like a little um little projector off his phones to show what the inside of those like lodging houses looked like, absolute like empty. It was just like 
a bunch of coffins with a string tied between them so that people could hang their stuff. And it it it's that in the 1800s or whatever in Britain, mm-hmm. in that industrial poverty is absolutely horrifying. Uh, and like that, that was just chilling, chilling here. But worse, yeah. Somehow, S- similar institutions, some the same structures. Like, yeah, Oof. the poorhouse. The poorhouse. Yeah. Yikes. Do yeah. you? How does? This is the other thing, because I am pulling entirely from visceral memory. How does it end? They find the ants. They find oh. the ants that yeah. they heard about from the stories of their mother, mm-hmm. like these mythical ants that own this bakery grocery shop in Castle Taggart. All the names in it are made up, by the way. They sound okay. like they could be anywhere in Ireland, mm. which is on purpose. So they come from this place called Dunneen and they end up in this place called Castle Taggart, which are not identifiable as anywhere. But um, yeah, so they find the ants, um, the aged ants, and they initially are like, don't recognize them as being related to them. But then ultimately they would say who they are and they are well welcomed in and given some tea and jam and, and bread. And bread, and yeah. it's like a happy ending. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And tell me this the mother kind of ambigu- ambiguously disappears, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of assumed that the parents are dead. Mm. So, like, the dad yeah. goes off for yeah. the works with a, a euphemism for a fam- famine road. For those who don't know, it was considered immoral to give people just alms for no work. So, they were all, starving people were made to build roads to nowhere. Now, this hasn't gone into detail in the book, it's just mentioned that he's working like the, on the works. Like the follies were kind of like the works, right? These beautiful, weird towers that are scattered throughout Ireland that are just built because give some people something to do. It could be. I mean, those those could also just be ornamental, some of yeah, them. Yeah, some of them. Uh, I'm not really sure on each case. But um, yeah, and then the mother ultimately goes after the dad to try and bring him back. And, and then she doesn't come true. back either. So it's, it's, it's yeah, it's left... Un, as an unknown, it just mm. gets to the point where the kids are like, we have to move or we're going to starve. Um, and so they make the decision to leave. But it's not decided whether or it's not like resolved, yeah. whether the parents have actually died or not. Mm. So it's kind of open that they could still be alive and maybe come and find them at the aunt's house, which is the idea. Like they'll know they, they'll have gone there. Yeah, they leave word with a couple of people before they leave. But That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. They leave word. Mm. Whew. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So happy-ish ending, I guess. It well, yeah. I yeah. I, I mean, they're alive. They're alive, yeah. and it's like this warm welcoming. And they jam, home. and they have jam. Yeah, and tea. But they yeah. jam post cow neck pudding is probably yeah. like nectar of the cow. Yeah, and they finish like the whole loaf of bread. Like they're given like one piece, and then they just eat. And the ants are just like sharing glances, like, okay, these children are starving. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. So that was much. a cheery chat. We went, yeah. we went all over the place. <laughs> we went like deep into Irish politics. That's yeah. deadly. Thank you so yeah. much. This has been amazing. Oh, awesome. Thanks for Plug your stuff for us. Uh, yeah, please check out my podcast, www.theirishpassport.com. It's me and my friend Tim, who's awesome. He's like, uh, teaches history. Cool. And I do like the journalism side of it. So we provide like the current day and then fill in the historical context that we argue you need to know. Um, and it's, uh, so we do stuff like the housing crisis lately. We do like Belfast. We went up to Belfast on the 12th of July, watched those big bonfires go up. What's that about? What's it like experiencing it as an Irish person? Uh, you know, Derry, we do a lot of stuff on Brexit and the border, that kind of thing, what's going to happen, but also like fun stuff like do Irish people believe in fairies and what's that about? That sounds amazing. Thank you cool. so much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.
and there we go. We're back. Thank you again to Naomi O'Leary. Thank you so much, Naomi. That, that was, was amazing. Neat and fascinating. I feel so radicalized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a really. I, I love when we get into politics. We don't very often, mm-hmm. but it was really, really fascinating. Really, really different to what we usually do. Um, I'm also mad. recording this back in October, so oh a lot could have changed by the time this comes yeah, out. Yeah, who knows? We'll come back into a different outro if it didn't. But if <laughs> if you're in this one, then things are just low level bad still. yeah Ireland isn't part of the British Union <laughs> everything's fine yeah yeah who knows that's actually so scary that we don't know what it's going to be like in January yikes mm. oh well well in October when we recorded it we had a great time yes it was great uh, the Irish Passport is a great podcast you should all go listen to it and you should also go listen to some Headstuff podcasts because we need to say that as well uh, for instance Paddy wants to know Brexit oh this on topic perfect yes and what else have we got? Let's Whenever we sit here uh, recording in the studio, we look around at all the beautiful pictures on the wall of the mm. other podcasts that we share our network with. What about Personality Bingo? Is that still on air? Yeah. Excellent. So you should have yeah. listened to Personality Bingo with Tom Moran, which I feel like has a really excellent format, right? Oh, it's great. Yeah. Tom has uh, a bingo machine, which is over in the corner oh, here. Oh, that's what that bingo And each ball okay. is a question. So he asks them a question based on what comes out. He has lots of really interesting Irish actors and writers, and it's a very good podcast. Deadly. So there you go. Uh, we want to thank Dee McDonald for our artwork. Dee, make me a jumper with the <laughs> Juvenilia logo. Thank yeah, you. That'll happen. Uh, <laughs> if I say it often enough. <laughs> yeah. Every outro, I'm like, I want a jumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you to Headstuff for having us. Yes, thank you. Hosting us, feeding us. They didn't feed us. No, but they did make the table. I feel like every time we come in here, this place is snazzier. Like, oh, there's plants this time. Oh, that's what's new. Yeah. The studio is outstanding and the guys do a really beautiful job mm-hmm. at creating a space um, where people can make things of their own. So thank you so much for that head stuff. Yeah. I read a thing during the week that said at the end of a podcast, you should give one call to action instead of listing absolutely everything. Oh, wow. So please tell your friends to, p- to pick a friend that you think would like this podcast and tell them about it. Yeah. Next time you hear a yeah. friend talking about something nostalgic... Or if you know of an episode of Juvenilia where we have talked about it, like let's say they're talking about Jaws or they're talking about Dirty Dancing or they're talking about uh, Labyrinth or Majora's Mask or anything, any of our previous episodes, if you feel like someone you know would like it, mm-hmm. give them a text. You know when you're talking about podcasts in the pub and you just before you get to the true crime ones, just give us a little mention. Yeah. How about everyone's already listened to Serial, Daniel? How about, <laughs> how about we fucking know S-Town? <laughs> uh, give us a shout out. It means a lot. It carries a long way. Yeah, we, that sounded bitter, but we're... we're I'm not be bitter. Very I don't want to be Sarah Koenig. I'm good. <laughs> I love what we do here. Yeah. And I hope that you do too. There we go. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.